morning, everyone. Hope you're doing well. If you'll please stand up with us. Glad that you're here, able to worship our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
on this uh, beautiful Sunday morning. Uh, it's a beautiful day before before things change around here, but uh, we're thankful to have a have a day of uh, of, of sunshine and uh, and a beautiful day to uh, maybe prepare for what uh, what may be coming tomorrow. I know we do have a couple of folks uh, that are worshiping with us this morning who have been displaced from uh, from Florida, ev- evacuees, and so we want to welcome you. Know that our hearts are uh, united with yours in prayer as uh, as you anticipate what uh, what you'll be returning home to. Uh, we hope that your time here is is uh, is as peaceful as it can possibly be, and we want to welcome you to worship with us here this morning. Uh, if you are a guest here with us, otherwise we want to uh, extend a special uh, welcome to you and encourage you to tear off the side of your bulletin, fill that information out. You can drop that in the offering plate or give it to a staff member uh, at the end of our worship service. We'd just like to know more about you and have an opportunity to, to give you a little more information about our church as well. Uh, but right now we're going to take time to greet each other. If you see someone you don't recognize, go say good morning and we'll continue to worship together here in just a few moments.
praise and worship. Just ask that you would uh, continue to be with us this, this morning, be with Pastor Brian as he shares your word. Just ask that you would just take these tithes and offerings to further your kingdom. In your heavenly and gracious name. Gentle thing. 
But let's come right here to the middle this morning, okay? You guys come sit right here. All right. Go ahead and have a seat. Go ahead and have a seat. Yeah, right down here. Uh-oh. You okay? All right. All right. Well, that's good. That's good. Look, um, so before you volunteer, I'm going to need some volunteers, but don't just jump to it just yet, okay? Okay? Because I'm going to need, need a few people here. We are going to put together a firefighting team, okay? Now, I'd ask Scott not to critique me too much I, and others because this, this is just BJ. doesn't know a whole lot about it trying to put, a, put together a team, okay? So the first thing I need is because we've got a truck we're going to take somewhere. I need somebody to be my driver, okay? All right, you were the first hand I saw. We may get there. We may not. Um, you're you're going to be my driver, all right? Now, um, I need a navigator. Good. You can tell her where to go. All right, so you can be the navigator. Do you know what the navigator does? You, you, you tell her where to go. Yeah, so you tell her where to turn and where to go. You know what the driver does? Drive. Drive. There you go. All right. Now I need somebody that likes to, wants to climb the ladder. You want to climb the ladder? Okay, come on, climb the ladder. You can be my ladder girl, okay? Uh, I need somebody that will swing an axe. Jake, come swing the axe for me, all right, in case we need to break down the, break down the door. Uh, I need somebody that will hold the hose and somebody turn the valve on. Okay, come on up. Okay, well, you can hold the hose too. Both of you hold the hose. Y'all come up here. All right, well, step back a little bit to hold the, to, for, for the valve. Put the two hose people right here together. All right, yep, there we go. All right, now, um, so this is our firefighting team, right? We got a driver, a navigator, somebody on the ladder. We got somebody swinging the axe. We got a couple of hose people back here and somebody to turn on the water valve, right? 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 Okay. So I just went over that. What's, all right. What's your primary job? To drive. What's your primary job? To be a navigator. What's your primary job? To climb up a ladder. That's right. What's your primary job? To break down the door. Break down the door. <laughs> What's your primary job? Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll help you out in a minute. What's your primary job? Hold the hose. Squirt people in the face. <laughs> really? Well, let me tell you. Here's the deal. I tricked you a little bit. I tricked you a little bit. Nobody got their primary job right. You're a firefighting team. Your primary job is to put out the fire. Okay? That's your primary job. You got to do that if you drive to the right place, but you don't put out the fire. You, we didn't do our job. I tricked you. I honestly, I tricked you. So you all just get used to it. If you get make it, if you make it through school and get to the youth department, I'll trick you a lot more. Okay. <laughs> I tricked you. But listen, here's the thing. In the church, we as Christians, our primary job is to make disciples. That's our primary job. Now it looks a lot different for a lot of different people. I want you guys to sit down for just a second. Okay. I want you to remember this. A firefighting team, their primary job is to put the fire out, okay? Now, you all had little tasks that you would do to help accomplish that big task. In the church, all these people out here and these people up here were to make disciples. Some of us sing, some of us preach, some of us hold doors. But not just that, some people, some people are uh, teachers in the school system. Some people are actually first responders and policemen and firefighters and that kind of thing. People are, we have, uh, we have airline pilots, we have people that work in construction, we have, uh, we have people in all different kinds of fields in our church, but our primary job 
as Christians, are you looking, are you listening? Is to make disciples. Make disciples, okay? Don't ever forget that. What's a, what's, what's a fire team's primary job? To put out the fire. What's a Christian's primary job? To make, to make disciples. That's right. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus. Lord, I pray even as little children, we'll remember we're here to make disciples. So, Lord, let it begin in us. Work in our hearts. And may we go and tell people the good news of Jesus Christ. It's in his name I pray. Amen. Let's stand once again as we continue singing. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but holy lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. seems to hide his face I rest on his unchanging grace in every high and stormy gale my anchor holds within the veil on Christ the solid rock I stand all other ground is sinking sand all other ground <coughs> His covenant, his blood, support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all I hope and stay. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking shall come with trumpet sound. Oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, thoughtless to stand before the throne. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is remain standing as we share God's word together this morning from Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. We'll pick up in verse 3. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not associate with them. For at one time you were, you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness but instead expose them, for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible 
is light. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you, God, for the opportunity to, uh, to teach it today, Lord. We pray, God, that you would uh, bless our time, bless our conversation today, Lord, that it may bring honor and glory to you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Well, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, do we? But we certainly know who holds tomorrow. And so that's where our hope and trust is based. Um, I will say that um, uh, they said, uh, got a notification right before I came up, that Atlanta is under the very first ever tropical storm warning uh, for uh, tomorrow. And so, uh, so that sounds rather ominous. All the Florida folks are laughing at us because we're worried about a tropical storm. Um, but uh, our trees are different than their trees. And so... Uh, uh, so our trees still have lots of leaves on them, and, um, and um, that's certainly something to cause concern. Um, if you do find tomorrow you're in a situation where you need some help, um, please don't hesitate to, to contact us. Uh, you, can, you can call the church office here, uh, even if we've sent the office staff home because the weather's uh, somewhat uh, unpredictable. Uh, we will have the phones forwarded so that they will ring, uh, ring a cell phone so that uh, so there is someone to answer the phone tomorrow. Um, what do you mean if, I, if you need help? Uh, well, if there's a tree that's down and, and blocking you and you need some help with that, let us know. Um, if, there's, if there's flooding or things like that, uh, you know, let us know. We, we'll get the help as best we can and, and, and help each other in, inside the household of faith as best we can. And so, uh, so please, uh, please do keep that in mind tomorrow and Tuesday as, um, as this goes past us. Also, we, of course, want to keep in prayer our first responders here. B.J. alluded to them a little bit in our children's sermon. But we've got firefighters and paramedics and police officers who I am sure are uh, not going to get the day off tomorrow or Tuesday. And uh, we certainly want to keep them in prayer as they are out and about in the, uh, in the midst of this, as well as uh, guys that work for the power companies. Uh, there's, there's some folks who are going to be, whose job is going to be uh, particularly interesting tomorrow uh, and Tuesday, uh, as well as... Um, emergency room nurses and things like that who, uh, who, who will get certainly uh, more than their fair share of uh, excitement uh, here in these next couple of days. Uh, but do, like I said, call the church office if there is a need that arises that, uh, that you need some help with. Uh, your deacons will be checking in on you as well uh, throughout the course of the next couple of days. Um, two weeks ago, you may have first heard about something called the Nashville Statement. I will say my voice is struggling this morning, so, uh, so if you're thinking he sounds funny, it's because uh, between a soccer game yesterday and a football game Friday night and ragweed, I'm thankful that I have any voice uh, at all this morning. Um, so we'll, we'll try to get through this together. Uh, so you may have heard about the Nashville statement. Contrary to the title, it's not a warning about bad country music, which would include everything written since 1999. Um, it is a document that was adopted by a group of evangelical Christians seeking to reaffirm traditional Christian values on human sexuality. I say reaffirm because it's not anything that we've lost. Uh, just because we're living in a world today where, where these things are somewhat questionable, guess what? It hadn't changed a bit. It, it still says what it's always says, and, and it, it, it hasn't changed at all. However, from time to time, uh, the church has to come together to reaffirm those traditional values and traditional views that are affirmed in the Word of God. Within hours after the Nashville Statement's release, you can imagine the hatred, the hatred and vitriol that the statement encountered. Uh, sources from, left, uh, from the left were, were quick to condemn it and talk about how hateful it was and how insensitive it was. 
Um, Al Mohler, president of Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, said this. He said, the Nashville Statement, like many other doctrinal declarations common to Christian history, seeks to summarize, clarify, and affirm what the Holy Scripture reveals. In this case, we find ourselves clarifying what no previous generations of Christians has been called upon to clarify. We must now clarify and specify what the Bible teaches about human sexuality, marriage, and what it means to be made male and female. It's a shame that this has to be clarified from this platform because it's something that's so basic it should be being clarified in our schools and everywhere where basic science is taught. Uh, if you're interested in the Nashville Statement, you can, uh, you can read it. Uh, you can go to, I'm slow here. Jennifer, you may have to help me out here because we're not communicating like we need to. Uh, you can go to the uh, CBMW website. It's the Council for Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. You can go to their website and you can read the Nashville Statement. Uh, it is there. Uh, CBMW.org uh, slash Nashville underscore statement. Uh, now, personally, I believe the statement clearly summarizes the Bible's teaching on these matters. But at the same time, I think it clearly exposes a myth that our culture has been promoting for at least the last 50 years. And I think it's a, I think it's a well-written, well-defined statement. Uh, I have signed it as a, as, as a, as a pastor, uh, and I agree with, with what it says. However, I think this is very important to note. Long before the Nashville statement was drafted, however, the Apostle Paul had already made several of his own statements that bring definition to this particular set of issues. So understand that the Nashville Statement is not anything new, that the Apostle Paul has already clarified these issues for us. For instance, we have a very clear statement in Romans chapter 1 that we could easily call the Rome Statement, where the Apostle Paul makes some very clear statements about what, uh, what human sexuality looks like. Here in Ephesians chapter 5, we have what could easily be called the Ephesus Statement. Now admittedly, these are passages that are not very popular today because they speak with a high degree, degree of clarity. If you will listen to the prevailing voice of culture today, you will hear that these passages are actually not clear when in fact they are. Those who refuse to acknowledge the clarity of biblical teaching on human sexuality are, are very much like someone who looks in a mirror and doesn't understand that they're looking at their own reflection. The scripture is very clear in these matters. However, we live in a world today that wants to confuse these matters. So in dealing with these issues, the evangelical must be careful. What do I mean by this? Why do we have to be careful? We are very quick to pronounce judgment. We're very quick to point fingers at many, many different people. Uh, we're very quick to say that we're against them or we're against this or, or everyone certainly knows what we stand against. Um, however, let us understand and remember some very important things. For instance, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17 tells us that judgment begins at the house of God. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God, and if it begins with us, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? You see, if we're going to speak with a voice of clarity and conviction, we need to make sure that we've got our own house cleaned up first. We need to make sure that our house is a, is a clean house if we're going to have any opportunity to speak to the depravity of the culture around us. So let us speak with clarity and conviction. Let us believe what the Bible says. But let us also understand that the Bible speaks to us on these issues as well. It's very easy to point fingers at them, but we must understand that the Bible also speaks to us on these matters as well. So that's what we need to think about this morning and, and really kind of get to work on today. 
what am I talking about here? Well, simply put, there's some things that don't belong in God's house. There's some things that don't belong in God's church. We are called to freedom, but the Bible tells us very carefully that that freedom is not freedom to do as we please. The, the freedom that we have in Christ is not simply the, the, the liberty to go and do whatever we want to. That's not what the freedom we have is. As a matter of fact, Paul has really kind of defined our freedom for us at the very first verse of chapter 5. What does he say there? Be imitators of God. So we are free. We are free from our sin. We are free from our rebellion. We are free from all those things, but we are free to be imitators of God. We are free to, to, to follow that example, to follow that image. This means that there are behaviors and actions that should not be seen in God's church. Amen? There are things that ought not take place in the house of God. There's things that ought not be in our families and in our homes. There are things that don't belong. And Paul gives us a simple list here. He says sexual immorality, impurity, or covetousness. What exactly are we talking about here? Well, this is where the culture says this is not very clear, but in fact, it is a very clear sense. Sexual immorality is one word in the Greek language that is a word that's particularly generic, but it describes any and all acts that fall outside of God's good design. So, so this word is everything that's not what God intended this to be. So when you think, what is, what is this word talking about? Well, we know what God's good design is, heterosexual marriage for life. That's God's good design. Sexual immorality is everything that falls outside of God's good design. Now, we know what it's like to cast judgment on folks who fall into the alphabet soup of the culture today. Whatever initial they choose to identify by, we, we know what it's like to cast judgment. It happens a lot. You may find yourself in the temptation to cast that judgment. But can I be very clear on this? When Paul says sexual immorality does not belong in God's house, that also includes things like adultery and pornography and premarital sex and cohabitation. That's also sexual immorality that doesn't belong in God's house. And so we say we don't like those folks who are engaging in the, in the initials behaviors. Well, guess what? There's a lot of things that happen inside the church that we don't tend to care too much about. We're not too worried about. The statistics tell us that half of every man in our room today is engaged in internet pornography in some way or another. Half. That's what the statistics are. Hopefully it's not that bad here, but that's what the statistics tell us. That inside the church, 50% of all men are engaged in that kind of behavior. Guess what? That qualifies. And this behavior that is, that is described here for us in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3, we need to be speaking to these issues. If the church is going to have a voice when it comes to some of these more outspoken cultural issues, then the church had better start owning some of the issues that are far more prevalent inside the house of God than we are willing to admit. I have a pastor friend who was actually uh, ended up having to leave his church because he refused to perform a wedding for a couple that was cohabiting together inside the church. No, they were part of the church. They weren't living together inside the church. They were... They were part of the church, and they were living together. And he refused to do a wedding for this prominent couple inside the church. And the church said, you, you have to do the wedding. You have to do the wedding. And the pastor would not. And that, became, that, that, was the, that was the beginning of his downfall. I'm thankful that Northside, we have a clause in our church constitution that forbids our pastors and elders from participating in wedding ceremonies for those who are cohabitating. Uh, we can't do those. So if you're shacking up and you say, Pastor, will you do our wedding uh, six months from now? No, not unless you move out. 
I'll marry you today to get it right, but we're not going to postpone this six months and celebrate what you're doing because what you're doing is sexual immorality. It's that which is forbidden inside the house of God. The church needs to own these things. Paul also says that impurity or covetousness should not be present among God's people. What exactly is he talking about? Well, again, I think he's purposely vague here. If he gave us a list of things that we ought not do, then we would simply find ways to satisfy our depravity with things that aren't on the list. If he said, here's all the things that you shouldn't be doing, we have such a depraved mind that we would just look for things that he didn't list and find those ways to satisfy that desire that we have in our heart. He goes further in verse 5 to really kind of help define this for us, that impurity or covetousness is really simply defined as idolatry. What is idolatry? Idolatry happens when we seek to find our fulfillment apart from Christ. And there are any number of things that we can engage our lives in where we look for fulfillment apart from Jesus. Any number of things. And they look different from from all sorts of different people. One person, it might be some sort of addiction, whether it's to some sort of substance or some sort of activity. For someone else, it may be gross materialism. All sorts of things could fall into this list. Any other diversion that serves as a substitute for our devotion to the Lord, that's what idolatry is. Well, here he gives us another lack of specificity. He doesn't say, here's a list of all the things you should stay away from. Instead, I think the Apostle Paul would tell us, look in the mirror and see. Are there things in your life? Are there things that you're engaged in? Are there activities, behaviors, thought patterns, things that you're doing that serve as a substitute for fulfillment found only in Jesus Christ alone? Now, again, this is the problem with the prevailing winds of culture today. People are looking for satisfaction, fulfillment, and wholeness in in something apart from God. They're trying to find their identity in in something that that is an act or or behavior or an activity, and they're not looking in the right place. That's part of our problem today, but it happens in the church as well. And what does that look like? Well, I don't know. Uh, For instance, I once worked with a guy who liked playing golf. He doesn't remember much about playing golf because he claimed that every every weekend he played golf, he drank a beer at every hole and gambled all along the way. Was it safe to say that for him, golf was one of those issues? I'm pretty sure that that golf would qualify for him because, again, by about hole 11 or 12, he didn't remember what was happening. I think it's safe to say that he had an idolatry problem. Now, we may not be able to define it, but we certainly all know when we see it. This was perhaps best stated by Justice Stewart in the 1964 Supreme Court case, Jacob Ellis versus Ohio. In defining whether a film was obscene or not, This is what the justice said. He said, I shall not today attempt further to define the kinds of material I understand to be embraced within that shorthand description. And perhaps I can never succeed in intelligibly doing so. But he did say this. I do know when I see it. I do know when I see it. May not be able to define it, but he certainly knows when he sees it. And I think it's that way for all of us as well may not be able to define those matters of idolatry, those things that are, are, are substitutes for us, but I have a feeling that if we see it, we'll know it. If we, if we experience it, we'll, we'll recognize what it is. Ultimately, Paul's Ephesus statement is very clear. He's not going to worry about the outside world. We'll deal with that later, but when it comes to the church, this stuff simply doesn't belong. This stuff simply doesn't belong going so far as to say that those engaging in sexual immorality and idolatry he even says that they do not have an inheritance in the kingdom of God 
Some of you read that and you say, whoa, pastor. That, that goes against what I learned in Sunday school. That goes against what I was told as a little kid, that, that nothing separates me from the love of God. I didn't say anything separated you from the love of God here. But is Paul saying that fornicators don't go to heaven? What about adulterers? Is Paul saying that they don't have an inheritance in the kingdom of God? Well, that's what it says. I mean, that's what this text says to us. Now, before you get ready to burn me at the heretic stake, let's make sure we actually understand what's going on here now that you're all paying attention. R.C. Sproul brings clarity to this. He says this statement is elliptical. That is, this statement leaves things unstated that are clearly understood. Paul is not saying here that if you were ever guilty of coveting someone else's possession, that thereby you are eternally disqualified from the kingdom of God. Instead, he is talking about a style of life that is characteristic. That is, if the basic characteristic of your life, you hear me? If the basic characteristic of your life is sexual immorality, impurity, or covetousness, then as long as you remain in that state, you remain out of the kingdom of God. One may make a profession of faith in Christ and then continue in a licentious lifestyle. This would reveal quicker than anything else that the profession of faith is false and the person is not qualified to be in the kingdom of God. In other words, if you claim to be a Christian, but your ongoing lifestyle looks like nothing close to being a Christian, then you may find yourself in grave spiritual jeopardy. We don't, we don't talk about this enough. We talk about perseverance of the saints, and that's important. Once saved, always saved. If you are truly in Christ, you can never not truly be in Christ. But how many people make false professions of faith, and their life is never actually really transformed by the renewing of their mind, they've never actually really experienced the forgiving, saving grace of God. And unfortunately, there's a lot. There's a lot. And their lifestyles are characteristic of that. And that's a dangerous place to be. Part of the church's problem today is that we have membership roles that are filled with folks who hold to a profession of faith, but who live lives that are completely uncharacteristic of those who love, worship, and serve Jesus. That's a huge problem in the church today. So what exactly does that mean? Does that mean we need to pick up all of our self-righteous stones and get ready to go after anyone who doesn't line up with our morality? Does that mean that we, we stand on the street with big obnoxious signs declaring God's hatred for those engaging in alternative lifestyles? Surely it means that we are to troll social media, looking to get into arguments with anyone and everyone who thinks differently than we do about these matters. Well, again, Paul doesn't leave us ill-prepared here. He doesn't leave us wondering what we should do. He says it very simply. Do not partner with them. Will I not partner with those who think differently about these particular matters? And this is important because we understand what the idea of partnership is. He says in verse 11, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. Don't be a partner with these things. He says in verse 7, do not associate with them. Do not partner with these, with these people on these things. The truth of the matter is, is that there is a great divide in our nation over these matters right now. And there's an even greater divide among the, the church, within the church today. If you're not following this and understanding where the church is standing on these things, you need to be paying attention to this. 
There are denominations today that have completely tossed out the Bible's teaching on human sexuality. They've completely tossed it out altogether. They don't care anymore about what the Bible says about these things because these things are irrelevant now. on that they're based on feelings and perceptions and and self-identification you can identify yourself with anything because no one can verify it no one can get inside of your head and figure out if that's right real or not it's you in your own little world based on today that's what this is based on today these these denominations have moved from the warnings of the apostle paul and the apostle john and they've embraced the all-you-need-is-love message of another Paul and John, McCartney and Lennon. That's what they've embraced today. So simply put, when a church or denomination puts sexual liberation ahead of biblical authority, this is very simple. We can't work together. We can't work together. Pastor, that's not very ecumenical. You're, not, you're right, it's not. But I'd rather stand before the Lord and be biblical rather than ecumenical. This is particularly true in denominations where, where these fault lines are, are starting to grow and the quake is coming. Uh, particularly in denominations like the Anglican Church, which is made up of, uh, in America, the Episcopal Church and the Methodist Church. You see, in a lot of these, these mainline denominations, there's a southern contingent in Africa and South America where, where those folks still believe the Bible. They still want to do what the Bible says. They still hold on to traditional biblical values, and there is a rift that is happening between those who make up the western component of the church and those that make up the southern component of the church. And I give it 10 years before you see a split Anglican fellowship and a split Methodist church. Those aren't the only churches that are struggling through these matters. They're just a couple of the biggest. These are major issues, and it's a rift that's happening. And Paul says don't partner. Don't partner with people that think differently about these matters. Well, does that mean that you can't work in the same department as someone at your, at your business? who doesn't share your beliefs on this, well, I went to church and they told me at church that I can't be a partner with you, so, so I can't work in the same work group as you. We can't be on the same floor together. We can't work in the same department anymore. Well, no, that's not what this means. That's not what this means. But it does mean that if that person or those people come to you and say, would you mind leading a Bible study with us? Well, the answer is pretty clear. I can't. I can't. I'm glad to lead a Bible study can't lead a Bible study with you. I can't partner with you in these matters. And that's not cold or unkind or unloving. It's just biblical. No, I can't partner in these things. We can work on a work project and get the, get the, 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 the computer set up to do what it needs to do. Or we can, we can build this thing that needs to be built. Or we can teach this thing that needs to be taught. But we can't partner together when it comes to our faith. Likewise, it doesn't mean that you sever ties with these individuals. These people who are struggling through these issues have something very much in common with us. They are in darkness now as we ourselves were once in darkness then. That we share that in common. And we can't forget that. 
the idolater, the fornicator, the coveter, the liar, the thief, they all have this one thing in common. They are currently in darkness and they need someone to expose them to the light. And if we are constantly wagging our fingers in their face about what they're doing is wrong and we are constantly holding our self-righteousness up in front of them and not pointing them to the gospel, not pointing them to Jesus, we're not doing our job. We're not accomplishing our task because the reality is is that our self-righteousness will not lead anyone to Christ. But if we will humbly point people to Jesus, then no matter what they're engaged in, they're not beyond the grace of God. They're not beyond the saving grace of Jesus. So what do we do? Well, we shine light. We have to shine light. The church must shine the light of the gospel into the darkness of this world. One of the things I love about the national statement, if you go through and read it, make sure you read it and don't let someone else read it for you. That's a problem today. We let other people tell us how to think. Well, go read it yourself and see what it says and think, of, think about it in your own way. One of the things I love about what the national statement does is it's not a simply a list of the things that we condemn and things that we're against. You know, we're opposed to this, 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 and this. That would be easy to do. We can make that list this morning, as a matter of fact, and probably come up with a pretty, pretty exhaustive list of things that don't qualify. But that's not what the Nashville Statement does. The Nashville Statement clearly says these are things that ought not be. But it also helps to articulate a, a biblical ethic when it comes to sin while it offers hope. Well, what's the hope? Well, the hope is that no one who struggles with these issues, with self-identification issues, no one who struggles with immorality in this sort is beyond the hope of the gospel. They're not. You may have a loved one, a family member, or a neighbor who's struggling with these matters, and I want to encourage you today, they're not outside the reach of the gospel. They're not. When are they outside the reach of the gospel? When they breathe their last. When they breathe their last. And so the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, we must continually be shining light into dark places. We must continually be shining light into the bitter darkness of this cultural revolution. But we must understand something, that that's not the only place where light needs to be shined. We must also recognize that the bright light of media attention is not the same as the bright light of the gospel. We got a lot of media attention when they published the Nashville Statement. A lot of folks were paying attention that day. That's not the same thing as men and women and churches and, 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 and homeowners associations and people interacting through their daily affairs. That's not the same thing as those individuals shining the light of the gospel. We also need to recognize that the light has to be shined not only on the rainbow-colored streets of midtown Atlanta. Does the light need to be shined there? Better believe it. But can I say this? The light needs to be shined in the divorce attorney's offices as well. The light needs to be shined in the LED illuminated secret places where internet addictions are fueled. The light needs to be shined in the hotel room of the business traveler who's facing real temptations for infidelity. Well, those aren't happening on the rainbow-colored streets of Midtown. It's happening in the hearts and minds and homes of those who fill our churches every Sunday morning. And the light needs to be shined there just as brightly as the light needs to be shined on the gay pride marches and things around the nation. The light has to be shined. So what do we do? I love what Paul says here. He, he ends, and we're not completely sure where this comes from. 
but it's set apart as poetry in our, in our scripture. And so we have a sense that this is just a little phrase from an Easter hymn or a baptismal hymn. And it's real simple. Awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. A real simple little verse that summarizes our call to action. Wake up the sleepers. Wake up those who are dead in their trespasses and sin. How do we wake them up? We shine the light on them. We shine the light on them. Sometimes it's gradual. Sometimes that light comes on slowly. But it doesn't mean that we stop shining the light. I hear from you sometimes. You've got a relationship with somebody in your workplace or in your circle who, is, who struggles with these issues. And, and it's, a, it's a long process. You're working through with them to help them help them see what's wrong in their life and how they can find hope in the gospel. It's a long process, but it's a process nonetheless of that light, like a dimmer switch, slowly coming up, trying to wake them up from the sleep so that they see the light of Jesus. Sometimes that light comes on like a flash. Uh, somebody is, is, is confronted with something, and like a flash, that light comes on, and they are awakened from their sleep. Those of you that were asleep just now just got woke up. My illustration is complete. They need to wake up. Wake from their sleep and let the light of Jesus shine brightly on them. And that's our call. That's our call. So there's two charges for us today. One is, is there darkness in your heart? Are there activities and behaviors and addictions and idolatries and things like that that, that are hidden deep down inside that maybe you know about and you've managed to, to keep them secret and no one else really knows. Doesn't belong in God's house. Doesn't belong with God's people. And if it's a chronic lifestyle thing, it may mean that you're not even among the people of God. You need to repent and come to faith in Jesus. The rest who may not be struggling with those things or, or those who, who, who have repented from those things, well, the call is clear for us as well. Let's keep shining the light. Let's keep shining the light. Wherever there's darkness, let's keep shining the light. So people see the gospel. People see Jesus and follow him. You pray with me, please. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the clarity with which it speaks. Thank you, Lord, that it speaks to matters that amazingly we still struggle with today. God, I pray that we might recognize idolatry in our hearts, God, and seek to uproot it. God, that we would see patterns in our lives that are not indicative of what a true Jesus follower is, and we would repent from those things. And God, that we would look around the world in which we live, and we would look for opportunities to shine the light. We have to speak truth. It's unloving for us to, 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 to not point out what God's displeased with. It's unloving. We don't love our neighbors by letting them know that they just continue on in their folly. It's, it's unloving. So speaking the truth in love, God, let us shine the light of the gospel into all the dark corners of our lives and all the dark corners of our world. And there's a lot of them today. Father, we pray that you will move in our hearts, God. If there's any here today under the sound of my voice that are not Jesus followers, that they've not repented from sin and put their faith and trust in Christ alone, that today would be the day of salvation for anyone who, who needs it. We pray these things today in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to stand and have a time of invitation. If you'd like to pray, you're welcome to do so. If there's somebody in your life somebody that you're trying to shine the light into and uh, you just want to pray for them.
uh, this is the time to do that as well. Um, so let's stand together and sing and you respond. Oh, Jesus, I have promised to serve thee to the end. Be thou forever near me, my master and my friend. I shall not fear the battle if thou art by my side, nor wander from the pathway if thou wilt be my guide. O oh, Jesus, thou hast promised to all who follow that where thou art in glory, there shall thy servant be. And Jesus, I have promised to serve thee to the end. Oh, give me grace to follow my master and my friend. tempting sounds I hear. My foes are ever near me, around me and within. But Jesus, draw thou nearer and shield my soul from sin. Guys, be seated back up. Anna Marie, can you come up here and stand with me? She's got fantastic news. She's happy as could be. <laughs> but she's petrified. As I understand, they're scary to look at, aren't they? I'm scared of them every Sunday. Okay. Uh, Anna Marie has given her life to Jesus. Yeah. See? And we got something pretty cool that's going to happen tonight, right? Your daddy's being set apart as a deacon, which is a kind of a neat thing to see happen anyway. And as soon as we get through ordaining your daddy, we're going to go up there in that water up there in that tub, and we're going to baptize you as soon as we get in your daddy. How's that sound? Is that pretty cool? All right. So, have a seat. So you're going to want to come and be part of that tonight. It's going to be awesome to, uh, to see that and, and be part of that. And, uh, and uh, we, uh, we rejoice with Anne-Marie in that decision, and uh, I know many hands have been involved in discipling her and getting her to this place, and so we're excited when, when all, those, uh, all those seeds that get planted come to, come, to, come to harvest time, and so we're excited about that. Uh, Needy uh, has asked to share, uh, share something here. break the notes. I wanted, I have asked God for forgiveness, but I wanted to ask y'all to forgive me as my church family. I have been struggling with depression for a long while, 
and everyone says, you're so strong, you're so strong. And I'm not, I'm weak and I'm human and I'm ashamed for the many times that I've just asked God to take me home. So it's not by my will that I'm here, but it's by God's will. And I have wasted precious, precious time that he gave me here. A couple of Sundays ago, you know, it says in the Bible that sometimes you, you can just cry out, not in audible words, but I ask God to search me and to, to know my heart and to search my heart. And I went to bed that night and I woke up a different person with a different purpose. And I know that everybody has something that they're dealing with. And most times it's not one thing, it's not two. Sometimes it's you're buried under it. But what always, never forget God's in front of you. He's behind you. He's on either side of you. He's in you. And we are in him. And I didn't realize during, I guess, I can't stand the word depression, but um, that that had become idolatry because it took, I have faith and I know God's in control, but when you get sometimes in that dark place, in your mind, it's so hard to cry out. And I just want you to know that God pulled me out. And I apologize for wasting precious time because there's so many that I know, loved ones that y'all have that you wish you still had. So don't waste time and trust. And thank you so much. I just, was a burden on my heart that I needed to share. We, we have something in common, all of us. We're all weak. None of us are strong. None of us have a, have a leg to stand on unless God gives us one. And so, uh, so I know we, we affirm that, that testimony, and, and as a church, I we accept an apology that uh, none of us expected to get, so uh, uh, nor nor sought after. Uh, but uh, we love you and are uh, continue to pray for you as uh, as you walk through this. Okay, um, so it's been good to be in God's house today. Amen. Uh, tonight uh, we've got our ordination service, and uh, that'll start at six o'clock. We will have a wana going on uh, from five twenty-five until uh, so so that there. So you still need to bring the kids to a wana, and then they will come in here. Uh, later on for the ordination service, there'll be a reception afterward uh, for Steve and Chris. Uh, we're excited about uh, being able to, uh, to to do this tonight. It should be a great time. And I'll just reaffirm what I said earlier. Uh, if you have any issues that come up Monday or Tuesday and uh, and it's something that, that you need some immediate help with, 770-304-0508, uh, and you'll get somebody on that on that number. Uh, so please uh, please remember that. Uh, and uh, Mike said he would come to every house that, that needs help. 
What's that? Call your deacon. If you don't know who it is, then uh, then shame on those deacons. So, uh, uh, but uh, but but hopefully they've reached out to you as well. If they haven't already, uh, they should be. Uh, but uh, but if you do need immediate help, please uh, please reach out to us so we can um, we can get that squared away uh, as best we can. Uh, now I'll be able to do anything. Uh, so, but but at least we can we can try to see what what can be done if you need any help uh, in the next couple of days. Uh, Drew, would you mind coming up and dismissing us in prayer, please? Let's all stand together. I'm going to ask everybody just to reach across the aisle and join hands. A couple of guys will grab offering plates. We will be taking up an offering for uh, Send Relief through uh, uh, for Hurricane Harvey, and it looks like that those may get lumped into uh, a couple of different things here. So, uh, so we do want to make sure that we're doing that as well. So, sorry. Let's pray. Father, we come to you as a church. We, we pray for, for the one on our, our right. We pray for the one that's on our left, the one that's in front of us, Lord, and the one that's behind us. We pray as a church, Lord, for each one of our members here. But more than that, Lord, we pray as a community. We pray as a body of believers for what's going on outside these walls and outside these doors, Lord. We, we pray for what's going on in our country with the weather, just with the condition of our country, Lord. We, we saw two examples, Lord, of, of kind of fear, and that's common for all of us. So we come together as a body, Lord. We rely on the strength of the person to our right, the person on our left, the person behind us, and the person in front of us. As our pastor spoke, Lord, we may be that light out there, and we may feel like our, like our light sometimes is just a small glimmer, but Lord, you'll take even that small glimmer, and you'll make it the most radiant, brightest light in the world if we rely on you. In our world right now, as we prepare for the storms of the life that's coming and, and we can make preparations, Lord, the most important preparations we can make is that we prepare our hearts and our minds for how you're going to use us and how we can be that bright light to a world that, that may not know what that light is and we may be the only light that they see, Lord. Let us always reflect you and reflect your love and your glory and your work wherever we go and in whatever we do. We just ask you to watch over everybody this week, Lord, and just, just have your protection over everybody and that we'll look back on this and, and see the ways in which we're amazed and not only how you work through nature, Lord, but how you also protect and you, and you watch over all of us and the stories that come out of this. We see some great stories that have come already from Houston and how we as a nation can stop tearing each other apart and come together. No matter what color, what creed, where we live, where we're from, None of that matters, Lord. We're all one. And we stand together now as your church, as your servants, and we ask you to use us and be that bright light. We thank you and we love you. In your name we pray. Amen.